This podcast is produced by Whisper and Mutter. Hi, how are you? It's Imani. I need your help. I don't know a lot about you, my listeners, aside from basic analytics, like the device you listen to this podcast on or how many downloads each episode gets. I want to understand you as a human. I am a UX researcher after all. <laughs> so can you please take an anonymous listener survey at yizzyresearch.com? It'll be really helpful for me. Thank you. Now on to the show. Last season was the first season of this podcast. I didn't know anything about podcast production. Hell, I'm not even an audio learner. But I do know about research, and I knew that I had a robust network of people who also knew about research. In season one, I talked with you about how I became a UX researcher, how to ace the UX researcher job interview, personality traits of good researchers, and research career coaching and mentorship. I had conversations with a Hungarian UX researcher, a senior market research leader, a market research entrepreneur, and an experienced UX researcher. In today's episode, I will reflect on the highlights of season one. You're listening to the Yizzy Research Podcast, the podcast for people who research people. You are listening to the voice of your host, Imani, UX researcher at and founder of the UX research company, Yizzy Research. I help organizations understand their users, and I coach aspiring and practicing UX researchers in their career journeys. One of the most popular episodes of season one was when I chatted with Asha. Asha has been a UX researcher at CNN, Google, and Airbnb, so she clearly knows a lot about how to do good research how to speak about her experience in interviews, and how to hire more junior researchers. When I asked Asha what she looked for when hiring researchers, here's what she said. I'm really, from a skills perspective, I'm looking for what I think the analogy is like a T-shaped practitioner. And the idea is that this person has a couple of methods that they are somewhat an expert in. They've done them a lot of times. They have several projects um, they can point to. And then they have maybe a few other methods that they've dabbled in, or they at least know what they are, or maybe they've done them once. Um, so from a skills perspective, I do think I still look for someone who has you know, one or a couple of methods that they're really comfortable with. And then for the other ones, they you know, may never have done them, but they at least know what it is, or they know they have some ideas around when they would or wouldn't use it, for example. One of the many things I love about being a researcher who produces a podcast is that not only do I create content to share with you, but I learn a lot myself. Prior to chatting with Asha, I had never heard of a T-shaped anything. (laughs) I did some Googling to expand my understanding of T-shaped employees and learned that there were M, X, and I-shaped employees as well. A T-shaped employee has cross-disciplinary knowledge, but has deep expertise in one of these disciplines. How can this T-shape manifest for UX researchers? Perhaps there's the domain expertise T-shaped researcher. The horizontal bar of the T-shape can be your experiences as a UX researcher in different industries. For example, my horizontal bar would be healthcare, information sciences, and tech. The vertical bar of the T-shape can be domain expertise. For me, my vertical bar would be relatively undefined. I don't think I've developed a deep domain expertise yet, especially since I have contracts with organizations in different industries, but I'm getting there. At this point in my career, I have favored developing method expertise. 
The method expertise T-shaped researcher prioritizes developing expertise in a few methods. The horizontal bar of this T-shape is the methods that you've done a few times. For me, some of those methods include usability testing, interviews, field research, and survey research. The vertical bar of this T-shape represents one or two methods that you excel in and know well. For me, it's interviewing and field research. Of these two T-shaped models, there are pros and cons to both depending on your career priorities. If you'd rather be a leader in a particular industry, then the domain expertise model makes more sense for you. If you'd prefer to perfect a few methods, then the methods expertise model is better suited for you. I had a conversation with a mentor of mine, Michelle. Michelle is an experienced market research leader. Michelle and I have had many private conversations about work life and research, and I was happy to share that with you all. During our chat, I asked Michelle a similar question that I asked Asha. What are the qualities of good market researchers? And she says something that captured research beautifully. Michelle said, um, I think that if you're going to be doing anything in this, in this industry, uh, paying attention to the details, it really matters. Um, the other two things that come to mind, and this goes beyond just being the researcher, but anybody within the, or within the research organization, I feel like having a point of view, clients always want to hear your point of view. And uh, so does senior management, right? Nobody wants you to be wishy-washy. Not everybody's going to agree with your point of view, but having a point of view and a rationale for that is so, so important and gives you so much more credibility than if you just sort of shrug and wait for somebody to tell you. Um, the other thing is having a solution. And I think you know, so many research projects, there's so many details, things will get missed and that is a problem. And being able to deal with the problems, come up with a solution and be proactive about applying the solution is really important. Uh, somebody had said this to me when I was starting out and I just said it to someone I work with the other day that you know, the, the problems are going to happen with these projects. I mean, we're, we're basically, this is truly a social science. We are trying to fit something like you said, qualitative, but we're trying to fit art into the scientific box and that's hard. And so problems are going to happen. It's how you solve the problems that people will remember. And I think if you can be upfront, transparent, proactive, you'll be successful. What really stood out to me from that excerpt was Michelle defining research as an art and a science. And it totally is. She was speaking about market research, but the same can be said about UX research too. UX research is an art because it requires interpretation, creativity, and emotional intelligence. There are a variety of viable approaches to a research problem. Like an artist, the researcher's choice of methods depends on their knowledge, experience, skills, and limits. There's also an art to engaging with other humans, representing their interests, behaviors, and quirks. There isn't necessarily a right or systematic way to do that either. UX research is a science because it is an intentional and systemic investigation. We as researchers are testing hypotheses, drafting research plans, observing and asking questions. As Michelle mentioned, we're trying to fit art into a scientific box, and though it comes with challenges, it's kind of fun. 
Another guest, Iris, a market research entrepreneur, touched on this when I asked her how she picked the right method for a research project. It really depends on um, the client's research objectives, um, the target audience, and their preferences, because some clients you know they have um, preferences for specific methodologies and, and timing, right? Um, for example, like some clients, they already have specific methodology in mind when they come to us and they will outline everything you know in the rfp so they are you know trying to um get estimates from um different research partners to help them make the decision more from a budget point of view but if they are um, flexible and open to suggestions um, my personal preference is to suggest something that is um hyper qualitative and quantitative uh, so that you have numbers to show and um, make your business case, but also qualitative findings such as verbatims, visuals, or video clips to bring the consumer story to life. When picking a method, stakeholder and business priorities are important and shape how researchers plan and execute research. This further complexes the art versus science dynamic and our attempts as researchers to effortlessly marry the two but hey, it's what we signed up for, right? If you're enjoying this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and give it a five-star rating and a glowing review. Subscribe, follow. Many of you messaged me to tell me how much you like the podcast, but it's even better if you share it with your coworkers, mentees, and mentors on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and any other platform I forgot to mention. Spread the love. Don't keep me to yourself. <laughs> Also, if you are an aspiring or even a current UX researcher who needs help with your resume, interviewing skills, professional branding, cover letter, LinkedIn profile, and portfolio, consider applying for the Yizzy Research Coaching Program. In another episode, I asked Jolt what UX research was like in Hungary and was so surprised when he told me. Actually... I would say it's easy to get in because there are very few companies and very few UX researchers working in Hungary. Uh, our, the, the, the whole market is very immature, I would say. Uh, designers are just starting to work at various companies. And now I'm talking about local companies, of course, big ones, but local ones uh, with uh, long history. But of course, international companies, they have uh, designers working for them, even if they are doing uh, product design or marketing, but research is less uh, popular, I would say, and it's less needed at the moment. Maybe, and as I would say that it's increasing, the demand is increasing, and mm -hmm. I would say the demand is higher than the number of people available to, to join these companies. So, so if you want to, you know, come to Hungary and enjoy this beautiful Eastern European city, country and city, then I think you can, can, you can uh, be a UX researcher. I was surprised because UX research is hard to break into here in the United States, but yet based on Jolt's experience, that wasn't the case in Hungary. I also asked Jolt about career pathing and UX maturity, and here's our exchange. 
So it sounds like there are mostly people there that start as designers and then they pivot into UX research. It sounds like that's the case in Hungary for the most part. Yeah, I would say most of the, most of them do this. And actually, there is no real uh, education for UX research. You mm -hmm. can, uh, you know, study psychology, sociology, even economics, uh, and you can study various design courses and these will give you the basics how to do ux research how to do research in general uh, but that's it there are I, I i actually i teach at one uh, university ux research so mm -hmm. i see that there is around 20 people who are joining these classes every year but mm -hmm. most of them are just you know want to understand what research is they don't want to do it actually they are right. stakeholders they are they are designers and so on and so on. I shared my career journey in the first episode of the first season, and I studied sociology as Jolt suggested a few moments ago. And Jolt is right. Studying social sciences and design does give you the basics about UX research. But in the USA, you need to be able to apply this book knowledge and get real world experience. This makes sense, but as mentioned many times on this podcast, it can be really hard to break into UX research as a career path. This season, I'll provide some more clarity in terms of getting a UX researcher job. I'll be chatting with a talent acquisition specialist who will share some insider knowledge about getting hired. In this season, you'll also hear about multicultural sampling, voice of the customer, how to recover after making big mistakes as a UX researcher, and so much more. Make sure you're subscribed to the Yeezy Research Podcast on whichever platform you're currently listening on so that you don't miss any new episodes. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to take the listener survey on yezyresearch.com. Give this podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And follow Yezy Research on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll chat soon.